Tech Hoops Pod. We are here recapping the season. Virginia Tech loses to Texas 81-73 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Not the result we wanted, but I don't think it's a result that was necessarily unexpected either, given the way Texas plays defense. Ed, it was a tough one. It was a tough one last Friday, but I think overall, you know, nobody would trade this Virginia Tech basketball season for anything with all the ups and downs and ultimately a conference championship. Yeah, I mean, it was an absolute wild ride of a season. Obviously, you know, you'd love to at the very least get out of the first round after winning the ACC championship. But uh, going into that game, I kind of knew that Texas and the way they play ball was going to be a really difficult matchup um, stylistically for the Hokies. You know, there's times this season when Virginia Tech has struggled. It's been due to an inability to uh, handle pressure and aggression from the opposing team's defense. And, uh, you know, Texas is everything – about that that makes life hard for Tech. Texas is aggressive. Um, they, they play really, really hard in those defense under Chris Beard, and they turn people over. And they did that tenfold in the second half, and it's what ended up ultimately sending Virginia home, Virginia Tech home packing on Friday in the first round of the tournament. Um, Texas probably shot the ball better than they had all year, which is very unfortunate, but uh, there's nothing you can do about it. But all in all, I mean, what a season. I don't think you can say – say too much negative about the season uh you know hanging a banner in castle coliseum you can't complain too much about that yeah for sure i don't think anybody is going to you know take the first round result in the ncaa tournament and say that that takes anything away from winning a conference championship i mean that was an unreal run the Hokies went on a couple weeks ago and you know for virginia tech to even put themselves in position where they were in the tournament i think is is a win enough considering where this team was um in mid-january uh, yeah, I mean, the story of the game, in my mind, Virginia Tech struggled rebounding the ball in the first half. That was pretty apparent. And the ball denial defense from Texas really took Virginia Tech out of their rhythm offensively. And I think, Ed, once again, you know, we've talked about this all year when Virginia Tech has struggled on the offensive end of the floor. We've talked about, well, there's not a guy who at the end of the shot clock can kind of put his head down and get to the rack, right? And that's been kind of the one area of Virginia Tech's offense all year that's been missing. And Tech really relies on Mike Young's offense to kind of scheme guys open. But Texas took all that away defensively. They are one of the, you know, five or ten best defensive teams in the entire country. They're very, very difficult uh, to, to really score on. Um, you know, Virginia Tech had that advantage, I thought, in the front court with Aluma and Mutz. But they legitimately could not get the ball to them in the second half. I think it's a testament to Texas. Everybody wants to talk about you know, Texas is shooting and, you know, they're the hottest they've been all year. And, you know, Texas shot like 52% from three, you know, they were 10 and 19 from three tech only made four, three pointers at lowest mark all year. So, you know, in some ways, yeah, it's a perfect storm, but in other ways, I thought Texas just outplayed the Hokies in that first round game. Yep. I agree. Um, I think I saw the stat going into the game. Chris Beard was 10 and four in the NCAA tournament. Uh, he has since won a game and lost a game, so he's probably now 11-5, and five, if, I, if I'm remembering that stat correctly. And, you know, Texas was – Texas played their best game offensively that they had, I believe, since the first game of the year. Um, they replicated that effort in a similar fashion against a really good Purdue team and gave Purdue all they could handle in the very next game. So, um, you know, Virginia Tech, it was a combination of a bad matchup stylistically and playing a team that's extremely well coached. Um, 
and, you know, plays a style of basketball that is conducive to winning games in a, in a tournament style. Uh, so Texas was, you know, it was a matchup that a lot of the national media and Virginia Tech media were very um, high on the Hokies for, but, you know, stylistically, I was never all that confident in it. Um, there was a lot of things to like, though. Well, a lot of things to like. There were some things to take away from this game that I think are definitely a positive looking forward into next year. Uh, the biggest and brightest being 100% Sean Padula um, looked extremely comfortable on the biggest stage. 19 points. He was really the only one that was any sort of threat from behind the three-point line. Um, Texas made a very concerted effort to take Hunter Couture out of the game and make him a non-factor, and they did that extremely well. Um, but, you know, it was extremely positive looking forward in the next, you know, year and two or two years of this program, um, knowing you have a point guard in Sean Padula who uh, is not shy and can perform at that level against that level of defense on the biggest stage in college basketball. So uh, that is one positive that I think Virginia Tech fans should take away from this specific game. But the season as a whole, I don't know how it can be viewed in any lens other than a success. Um, I've seen some very interesting takes that people would rather the Hokies made it to a Sweet 16 than win, to, win the ACC tournament. I do not fall in that camp. Um, the Sweet 16, you get a cool banner hanging in the in Castle Coliseum. Um, ACC Championship, you get a trophy, a banner, and a ring. So I'm going to go with all the <laughs> hardware there. Um, that, that win, I don't think you can, you know, me and Pat and Billy talked about it at nauseum on the last podcast, but I don't think you can really uh, properly put into perspective what that win meant for Mike Young, Storm Murphy, uh, all the guys who are moving on probably to, you know, the rest of their careers, but also the program you know, next year, five years from now. Um, I think we could look back on this as a huge turning point in the trajectory of the program that was already on the rise. Yeah, I mean, it, thinking back to mid-January, things were not going well for Virginia Tech. Hobies were 2-7 and seven in the ACC after falling to Miami and Blacksburg on that buzzer beater. And, you know, things weren't going really well. And, you know, I think a lot of people expected Virginia Tech to be in the position they were in in terms of being an NCAA tournament team. And, you know, once you get there, it involves matchups, a little bit of luck, and you, you simply have to be playing well. And, you know, Virginia Tech didn't win in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And if you told me at the beginning of the year that, you know, Tech would have made the big dance and would have lost in the first round, would that have shocked me? No, that, that wouldn't have shocked me. But when you think back to, to January and how Tech played and the trajectory of the year and the struggles in non-con play a little bit, you know, losing to Xavier and losing to Dayton and Memphis. And, you know, there were some winnable games there for Tech that they just simply couldn't capitalize on in non-conference play. And when you consider some of the in-conference losses with Boston College and NC State, the first UVA game, you know, there were some opportunities missed by Virginia Tech, but to turn it around to, to win whatever it was, what did it 11 out of 13 or whatever it was before the NCAA tournament and then, or ACC tournament, I'm sorry. And then to win four in a row in Brooklyn, four games and four nights, you win all four of those, you win a conference championship. I mean, it's funny, you know, we, we talked about going into the year that Virginia Tech is a team that could definitely make an NCAA tournament, but, you know, we mentioned that it was possible, you know, Virginia Tech could win the ACC. We didn't think it was probable though. So for Virginia Tech to be that team that struggled that much and then to turn it into a conference title, the first ACC tournament title in, in school history, it's pretty remarkable, totally unexpected. But then 
when this when you take a look at the season as a whole and, and where you project the Hokies in the preseason, this is kind of exactly where we thought they would be. Like in the NCAA tournament, maybe they were a little, you know, seated a little bit lower than we would have thought. But I mean, this is kind of right where we expected them to be as far as the season as a whole. And the ACC tournament was just kind of a cherry on top, a nice little surprise. Yeah, we could talk about the seeding of the tournament for hours on end, but um, pretty clear to me that if Virginia Tech didn't win that game against Duke in the ACC championship, they were not getting in the NCAA tournament based on that 11 seed. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I think most people would say that that's wrong. They should have been in regardless, but you're 100% right. I mean, I think back to the first episode of the season where I believe if I go back, I think I had us finishing – third or maybe even I had us winning the ACC I can't remember I know Luke Hancock did uh, from the ACC network so you know there the expectations were extremely high and Mike Young talked about it during the low points of the season that he knew he had a talented ball club he knew what he had in that locker room um, and they were able to turn it around in a historic way and in a season I don't think Virginia Tech fans will ever forget um, it, it was truly remarkable that four-day span was kind of a blur uh, especially the last two games, both due to cold beverages and due to, you know, winning games that winning games decisively in a manner that was kind of shocking. Um, I would say to at least myself and probably most Virginia Tech fans and national basketball fans. I mean, to beat Duke and to beat Carolina the way the Hokies did in Brooklyn was not something I saw coming based on the matchups those teams had during the regular season. Um, I said this on with, Billy and Pat, but this this was not a cupcake ACC championship by any means. You know, went right down Tobacco Road to get this thing and uh, beat Coach K in his last ACC tournament game. It was really a uh, really a remarkable ride after a terrible, terrible start. But Mike Young and the team never quit. They knew what they had in the locker room. And looking forward, um, you would think that this would propel the program to another level of success um, and results on the recruiting trail that they may not have really ever seen at Virginia Tech. All right, so what do we think? Do we think Mutz or Aluma return, Ed? I'm going to say no, neither one returns. Depends how much NIL money we have. I would say mm-hmm. no. Um, both those guys have done enough in college basketball and have enough on their resume now where they can go make money playing basketball. I'm not saying they're all going to be, you know, they're both going to be NBA guys or G League guys, but um, their paychecks waiting for those two to go collect somewhere in the world of basketball. Um, probably more so than an NIL deal from Virginia Tech could offer them. But, you know, I think they're both probably going to weigh their options more than you would have thought, um, which speaks to the level of affinity they have for the university and for Mike Young. Um, they both talked about that. So I think they're going to at the very least weigh their options, but, uh, I find it hard to believe that Justin Mutz is going to want to come back for a fourth college degree and Kevin Aluma will come back for, I guess, his fifth or sixth year in college when he could go get a check uh, playing professionally somewhere. So I'm going to go with no uh, on Mutz and Aluma, unfortunately, as amazing as that would be. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I fall on the no side for the exact same reason you do. I just don't think it's an opportunity cost thing. And I just don't think Aluma and Mutz are going to stick around for NIL money when they could be making more elsewhere. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe the NIL pool um, that could be allocated to them is a bit bigger than I think it is. 
Okay, so Aluma and Mutz are gone. Storm Murphy, gone. Um, those are three out of your five starters. Uh, you know, without the transfer portal, because we have no idea how to project that, but without the transfer portal, you have guys returning, including Aline, Hunter Couture, David Gusson, um, you know, of course, Darius Maddox off the bench. You have Sean Padula, who's expected to slide into the point guard role. You have Patrick Wessler coming in. Um, you got Rodney Rice coming in. I mean, the list goes on and on. Darren Buchanan. I mean, a lot of talent. MJ Collins, right? You, you got four guys in the recruiting class. You got Tyrell Ward floating out there, just decommitted from Xavier, who Virginia Tech was hot on the trail after. And Tech is definitely back in the mix for, but I don't know how realistic that is. So what do you think the biggest need is on this team heading into next year? I mean, I think if Aluma and Mutz are gone, they got to get some front court help. Yeah, so if you look at the guys who are returning on the front court, it's David Gasson, who's played sparingly in his first two seasons at Virginia Tech. Uh, it's John Ogiaco, who has played even less. And then um, guys like Lynn Kidd, the Clemson transfer, who didn't really play at all this year except in mop-up duty in blowout games. So the experience in the front court for the Hokies after Mudson Aluma is extremely, extremely thin. Um, I do think it's not – as bad as I think fans will perceive it to be. Um, and I'll break down why in a second, but I, I definitely think that Virginia Tech will be in heavy on any and all uh, contributing bigs, whether it's guys who flamed out maybe at another power five school or guys who have had sustained success at mid-majors and are looking to make that jump to power five in ACC basketball. But the reason I say that I don't think a starting lineup next year that included Gasson and Kidd, say, at the four and five is the worst thing in the world, uh, is because the way I view those two guys is um, probably a little bit better than I think most fans will. I think we saw a lot of flashes of really good stuff from David Gasson, putting the ball on the floor and getting to the basket, um, playing good defense, rebounding. Granted, that sample size is extremely small, but I think if you extrapolate that out over, you know, 20, 25 minutes, um, I think David Kassan could put up very respectable numbers uh, in the ACC at the power forward position. And, you know, Lynn Kidd is a seven-footer who looks like he's got a 40-inch vertical. Um, at the very least, I think that guy could, you know, get you eight rebounds, a couple blocks, and four put-back dunks in a game. You know, think Mark Williams at Duke, just a imposing force on the inside athletically. Um, who can cause issues for another team. Why I don't think that'd be the worst thing in the world, because I think you're going to see an uptick in production from the backcourt. Um, Sean Padula being the biggest catalyst of that. I think what you're going to get from Sean Padula in a starting point guard role, um, extrapolate that out over an entire season or over a, you know, say 35 minutes a night, 33 minutes, 30 minutes a night. Um, I think you'll get a boost there in the backcourt production that, Storm wasn't providing at times this season. Um, Padula proved himself to me and I think to most Virginia Tech fans this season in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, he's an extremely talented guy who I think, you know, the keys to the car are being turned over to him next year. And I think he'll be able to provide some production that this year's backcourt maybe didn't have to offset the lack of production that we might see from the front court when you lose guys like Kevin Aluma and Justin Mutz. Um, there was also moments this season and then actually even in the game against Texas where you saw Hunter Couture's game um, diversify, where he's taking the ball to the basket off the dribble, 
finishing around the rim, hitting step back jump shots, both from three and mid range. You saw that at times this season. Uh, I think that's something over the off season that I'm sure he'll be working on again and can take another positive step in his game. And then you add in guys like uh, Rodney Rice off the bench, or I perceive will be off the bench. We'll see. But that's an explosive scorer and playmaker coming in as a freshman who can put a nice jolt in your bench production. So there's ways for the roster as it currently sits today on what is what is today, March 24th or 23rd? It's 23rd, but yeah, uh, when you listen to it, it's 24th, yep. Yeah, there's, there's ways that the current roster as it sits right now prior to any additions in the portal, et cetera, uh, for this team to still be – very competitive next year it just might look a little different from a um, box score and output perspective it's not going to be at least as it currently sits uh, as front court dominant as it has been the last two years under Mike Young totally agree there's going to be a shift in the offense next year it's going to be very guard and wing heavy I think it's going to have to be because like you said I mean without assuming no much no Luma which I think is more probable than not at this point um, without them you're going with a pretty young backcourt next year, assuming that these guys stick around, right? David Gusan is probably going to play a bunch um, if he's still with the program. Lynn Kidd is going to play certainly more than he did this year. I don't know if he starts or not, but he's going to play. You got Patrick Wessler coming in as a freshman, you know, big bodied kid. I'm sure he'll contribute some. I don't know how much. Uh, John Ogiaco, I have no idea, you know, uh, he's a guy that Mike Young has spoken highly about in the past, but then he never gets on the court. So I don't know what the front court looks like. I think Mike Young is definitely going to be in the market for an experienced big, especially if Mutz and Aluma don't return. I think he's going to have to be, you know, get into the transfer portal and get somebody who he knows is at least produced at the, you know, even at the mid-major level, um, and try to get them in and just have some experience. Cause I, I you know, if, if I'm Mike Young, I agree with you on the David Gusan point that, you know, inserting him in the starting lineup probably isn't as bad as a lot of tech fans think it is. But I'd be a little nervous about Lynn Kidd only because he didn't play at all this year, you know, and he didn't really play much at Clemson either. And I know what kind of prospect he was. You know, I've seen tech play in person a few times this year. I, I see, you know, Lynn Kidd is a big kid, <laughs> you know, no pun intended. He's he's a large human being. Like, I think he'd be a handful to deal with, but the does that mean he has to go now and play 25 minutes and I have not playing at all this year? I mean, that seems a little bit dicey to go into, into the year hoping that he's the guy that you said he's going to be at, where I think that is the best case scenario, at least with minutes we haven't seen to this point, eight points, eight rebounds, you know, a couple blocks. That's, that'd be fantastic. I think tech fans would sign up for that today. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be guard and wing heavy you know, Ronnie Marice coming in is going to be a significant contributor, I think, off the bench. I don't think he's going to start right away because that's not really Mike Young's MO. He doesn't really start freshman. I think he'll play a lot. I wouldn't count, and I, I don't know this for a fact, but I would not count on Darius Maddox returning. Here's why I say that. Hunter Couture and Naheem Aleem have proven that they are, and, and I know fans would disagree with the Aleem point because he's been up and down, but They've proven in Mike Young's eyes to be starting caliber players, right? And they're not going anywhere. And unless you're going to go with a really small lineup where you're playing Couture, Aline, Maddox, and Padula, which I don't think Mike Young will do, where, you know, how is Maddox going to start next year over Naheem Aline, who's going to be, you know, in his fourth year essentially starting? I, I just don't see it happening. You know, if Maddox was going to take over and be a starter and place Aline, I think it would have happened already. Yeah, my counter to that is always the same and it's 
you would hope that the kids wouldn't care too much about who is on the floor to tip off and who's on the floor at the end of the game. Uh, and I say that because, you know, for the back half of the season, Darius Maddox played about 20-something minutes a night coming off the bench uh, in a role that has suited his game at this point in his career extremely well. Um, there's room for that number to even inflate to, you know, 25 minutes a night, which to me is a significant chunk. And, you know, Mike Young is going to have to have those kind of conversations with the, with his guys this offseason about what their roles look like in his mind moving forward. Um, maybe it be, maybe Aline becomes the guy off the bench and Maddox slots in the starting role. Uh, you know, there's there's ways to rectify that issue that a lot of fans are very concerned with, and understandably so. Darius Maddox was, you know, provided some pretty special moments this year for Virginia Tech. Um, I, I'm not, I'll believe it when I see it. I, I I don't believe that he'll he's leaving because there's no reason to up until this point. I know it's a common concern among fans, but. Um, I, that's one of those things that I'm not going to believe that Darius Maddox is leaving Virginia Tech until Darius Maddox is gone. Uh, I think Mike Young will be able to handle this situation um, in an extremely high-class way like he always does and find a way to put this team in the best position to win games next year. And I think he knows that that is with Darius Maddox in the program, whether that's coming off the bench as the sixth man or starting at the two guard or however that, however he views that, I think Mike Young will find a way to get it done in a way that benefits Virginia Tech. I totally agree. I mean, I think, you know, with or without him, Tech will be fine. I mean, you'd obviously rather have him because he's an experienced guard and, you know, he has potential to really make another leap next year. The only reason I have concern is we just watched something similar happen with Jalen Cohn, you know, where he was producing a similar role to Darius Maddox playing actually even more than Darius Maddox was. And, you know, he thought that he could go and be something greater at Northern Arizona. Right. Which I think, you know, we can, we can discuss the pros and cons of going to play at a small school like Northern Arizona and be the point guard and average like 20 points a game versus playing the ACC and average like 10 to 12 points a game off the bench. I, you know, lights are bright in the ACC. I think I'd be rather, rather be playing there, but that that's, you know, for, Jalen Cohn to consider, not me, right? And that's something that Darius Maddox, I think, is going to have to evaluate as well if he decides that, you know, he's at least going to look into maybe moving on elsewhere. You know, if I'm going to a different school that's maybe, you know, not in the ACC, right, or not at the Power 5 level, if I'm going to maybe go to a mid-major, you know, like like Jalen Cohn just did, you know, I got I got to decide, okay, is more, more playing time in a smaller school maybe or just not in the ACC, is that going to be better or worse for me moving forward than my current role at Virginia Tech. So that's something that, you know, I agree with, you know, we'll, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. It's just, I think it's a concern fans have because, you know, I, I think a lot of fans think that Maddox should be playing over a lean, especially with Maddox's improvements defensively as the year went on, which I think, you know, early in the year when people are screaming from mountaintops, play Maddox over a lean, it's like easier said than done because Maddox's defense was, you know, at that point, at best kind of neutral, but a lot of times a net negative, right? And I think as the year went on, you know, Maddox made, definitely made some strides defensively, which made it more palatable, I think, to to play Maddox over Aline a bit more. And we were seeing that, you know, to your point, Ed, we were seeing that as, as games were closing. Maddox certainly did play a lot of closing minutes, as did Sean Padula, not as much maybe in the ACC tournament, Storm Murphy was playing so well, but Towards the end of the regular season, we did we did see a lineup that included Padula and Maddox closing games a lot more than we saw earlier in the year. Absolutely, and it was 
that's similar to the career arc of Hunter Couture. There was a point in Hunter Couture's career where he was the sixth man come off the bench, and that progressed to a point where he was closing out games, you know, as part of the best five. I don't necessarily view Mike Young not starting Darius Maddox this season as anything other than he kept the same five guys in the starting rotation from day one till they were raising a trophy in Brooklyn. So he never changed it. It was not like he was starting somebody else over Maddox and the rotation was flipping. No, it, it stayed consistent the whole year. The same five guys started every single game. Um, I would think that Darius Maddox wouldn't view that as a slight at him. Um, but like I said, I, I'm so far out of the business of questioning Mike Young and his coaching and his roster management and his program management. Um, I, I have no doubt that he will do whatever's in the best interest of one, the program and two, the kid. And I, I fully expect Darius Maddox to be um, on the floor for Virginia Tech to start off next season. Uh, yeah, we're, we're done questioning Mike Young, right? Not that you and I necessarily were at all. I mean, I thought, you know, we, we had some, criticisms of Mike Young, right? We thought that the rotation could change a little bit or, you know, the man's distribution could change, but neither one of us questioned his coaching ability, but there were some that did. And I think we're done with that now. I would hope so. <laughs> but we know I, this fan I would base. Hope so. We know this fan base now. Okay. Yeah. So projecting this thing forward, I mean, future's pretty bright here. You would have to think, I mean, you look at the roster and you know, we already talked about who's leaving and who's coming in, but um, I think at the very least, if you're not able to get some of those top tier guys coming out of the portal at the four and the five spot, um, it might be a rebuild-ish next year as you wait for guys like Darren Buchanan and Patrick Wessler and, you know, guys in the class after them maybe at the four and the five spot to mature and grow into their roles, but I fully expect that any portal big man um, who's looking to make a jump from a mid-major to a power five school would look at the situation at Virginia Tech and the numbers that Mutz and Aluma were able to put up and think very highly of that situation that they could put themselves in in Blacksburg. So I expect the staff to go hard and fast after top tier guys in the transfer portal at those positions and land one. But even if they aren't able to do so, um, the future is absolutely bright. You know, you got your point guard for the next two to three years in Sean Padula. Um, you got the third highest kid in school history in Rodney Rice coming in. Uh, I would assume he will enroll over the summertime. And then you got guys like Collins who are um, extremely, extremely physically talented basketball players who've had really, really good uh, seasons for their high school teams. You got a seven footer in Patrick Wessler. Uh, something that this program has had a hard time finding over the past few years. Um, and you've got one in Wessler who looks extremely skilled at his size, can shoot the three already in high school. So lots of like there. Then you got back-to-back -back, uh, D.C. Public School Player of the Year and a 6'7", kind of hybrid 3-4 guy in Darren Buchanan, who I am personally am extremely excited for. I think his game kind of models after Justin Mutz in some ways. Um, but a bigger kid than Justin Mutz is already, even as a high schooler. So um, the future is absolutely bright, both with the guys currently on the roster, the guys signed to come in over the summer, and, you know, the potential for a couple more late ads here, either via the portal or through uh, guys like Tyrell Ward, who have decommitted 
uh, from their previous school, which, you know, I'm not going to talk about that too much because I don't want to speculate and I don't want to get my hopes up in reality because uh, that would be an incredible get for the staff if they're able to pull in Tyrell Ward uh, after his recent decommitment from Xavier. So I think Mike Young's got a nice little uh, trick up his sleeve that he can walk into these kids' homes with in the form of an ACC championship trophy. Um, you know, Mike Young's been here three years, made two tournaments, won an ACC championship, and won ACC Coach of the Year. Um, good luck finding a better three-year span for a coach in the country in reality. Agree. I mean, all I'll say is Hokies are definitely in on board. I mean, that's that's legitimate interest on both sides. Now, you know, we know how recruiting goes, but Tech will be a player there. I just don't know if Ward will ultimately end up in Blacksburg. If he does, that'll be an incredible coup for Mike Young. I mean, that would be quite the quite the recruiting class to bring in, especially for all the naysayers that said he couldn't recruit. I mean, if he brings in two top 150 recruits, I mean, I, I think we can put that argument to rest as well. Um, Ed, this is going to be a really talented group coming in next year. Future's bright. I agree it could be a rebuild. I, I think if Oluma or Mutz come back, uh, you know, we can forget about rebuilds. <laughs> I think Virginia Tech will be right back in the mix next year. Um, but assuming they both move on, I think we're in for at least one rebuild year where Tech might not be necessarily an NCAA tournament team, um, but can at least be in the mix, be competitive, and then set up for a really big year, two seasons from now, depending on who they get in the portal and, you know, who they ultimately, you know, if they are able to land a Tyrell Ward on the recruiting trail, you know, that that obviously would, would change things. Uh, but, Ed, we're going to wrap this up now, but we're going to be around during the offseason. This podcast is not going to go away for seven or eight months. So tell everybody what we have planned here uh, for the off season, as far as recording goes. Yeah, I definitely don't want to uh, go on a complete hiatus like we did last season. Um, like this podcast and the Virginia Tech basketball program, we want to keep the momentum going. So uh, I really enjoyed, you know, meeting and talking with various people who uh, know and care about this program over the past course of this season uh guys like chris arvin who came on from 247 sports a few weeks back i'd love to have him on again this summer uh talk to a few other people who uh, have platforms in the virginia tech community that you know love and care about basketball and want to promote it as much as possible as well um so there'll be some guests like that that we'd love to get on um as well as some potential interviews with players and coaches and uh maybe even some of the current commitments uh, down the line. So we definitely want to keep the basketball content coming. Uh, if anybody has any, you know, questions, comments, ideas that they want to, you know, want me and Mike to explore in terms of the Virginia Tech uh, basketball centric portion of the Suns of Saturday, please feel free to reach out to either of us on Twitter. Um, you know, any ideas are welcome, but we definitely want to keep the momentum going and continue to put the basketball program front and center in front of Virginia Tech fans uh, heading into what could be a really fun off season if, you know, some chips fall where, you know, they potentially could. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, we've grown a lot this year from a listenership standpoint. So thanks you all for the support, of course, uh, you know, helps Ed and I to know that people are out there actually listening to what we have to say. And we're not just screaming at our microphones into the abyss. So it's good to, good to see those numbers pick up. We hope to keep it going and keep pushing out the good content. And yeah, it should be uh, it should be a fun off season here. It should be at least a fun few weeks. We're going to find out if Tech's in the mix for some transfers. If there are some guys, um, you know, on the recruiting trail. We mentioned Tyrell Ward that Tech might try to lure in. 
we await the Luma and Mutz decisions as well. So there will be some things to talk about here in the near term as we'll get together again soon. Yeah, well, I mean, as things pop up, we'll hop on here and maybe record like mini episodes to tag on with Billy and Pat stuff and that kind of thing, just to keep fans in the loop on what's going on with the basketball program. But I do think after the the finish to the season that these guys just had, um, there's a lot of a lot of excitement, a lot of interest from the fan base right now around the program, and we definitely want to keep that going because you know those guys earned it, man. Storm Murphy, Justin Mutz, Aluma, all the underclassmen, Mike Young and staff. Those guys earned our listenership and our uh, our airtime, so we're going to keep talking about them as much as we possibly can because it's way too much fun. Yeah, agree. No doubt about it. So we'll definitely hop back on here soon, Ed. Appreciate it, man. Go Hokies.